0: welcome back to the finley capital podcast my name is logan ricketti as always this podcast is sponsored by the hard money handbook you can go to www.hardmoneyhandbook.com to download a free report to learn how to use hard money loans to finance your real estate deals also brought to you by the Facebook group, Powered by Private. If you would like to learn more about how to lend your own private capital to borrowers, or if you are a borrower, a real estate investor operator who wants to learn more about how to use private capital to fund your real estate deals, that's the group that you wanna be in, Powered by Private on Facebook. Today, I wanna break down how a private loan is structured. I wanna show from the perspective of a private lender how to structure a private loan, what the mechanics of that loan are, how they work, and how best to structure a loan to mitigate risk and to uh, be attractive to a borrower at the same time. Let's talk about the mechanics and the elements of a private loan so we can understand how best to structure the terms. The three main elements of a private loan that you take into account, take into consideration when you're structuring a private loan are the purchase price, the renovation budget, and then the after repair value. Those are your three elements, your three factors. Basically, you as the private lender can offer any type of loan terms that you please. It's up to you what kind of loans you want to do, what kind of structures you want to put together, what kind of safeguards and what kind of limits and and limitations that you want to uh, put into place. But my suggestion is that you structure your loans to be the most conservative, as possible. And when I say most conservative, I mean a couple different things. Number one, you want to have your borrower bringing skin into the game, you want your borrower to have skin in the game. And then also, when it comes to renovation budgets, holding back capital, holding back funds and escrow, you want to have that incorporated into your deal to mitigate your risk even further. Another way to mitigate some risk is to pre collect interest and fees, which we can talk about here in a minute. I'll give you an example. Let's say your borrower has a loan, has a purchase price on the deal of 200,000. Let's say the renovation budget on that deal is let's say 50,000. And let's say the after repair value on that deal is 400,000. Those are the elements of the deal that we need to analyze. Purchase price 200,000, renovation budget 50,000, ARV, after repair value estimated to be 400,000. If you want it to be very risky or very aggressive, one of the things that you could do is you as the bar, as the lender could offer to finance 100% of the purchase price and 100% of the renovation budget. So that would be 200,000 times 100% plus 50,000 times 100% equals 250,000. Let's say that you just were kind of crazy and you weren't really uh, paying too much attention to mitigating your own risk. What you could do is you could fund this deal for the borrower And hand that borrower $250,000, 100% of purchase and 100% of repairs. In a scenario like that, when the borrower closes on the purchase, they go to the title company, hopefully, you had a title company, purchase price on the closing statement is $200,000, loan amount $250,000, which basically means the borrower is going to walk away from the closing table with $50,000 in cash minus their closing fees to close the transaction. What happens on day one in a scenario like that? What could happen? Obviously, the borrower could go to Tahiti for, with 50 grand and go have a party. Let's say the borrower decides never to start the renovation, never to flip the house, just runs away with the money. Now, you as the lender are $250,000 out of pocket and you are going to need to foreclose on a property that is worth arguably, as is, $200,000, less the commissions and fees that will cost you to resell that property. Selling that property might cost you 10, 15,000 in legal fees to go through a foreclosure, it might cost you 10 or 12,000 more to pay a realtor a commission to sell it. And then you're going to have some transaction fees of selling the property as well. So you might be looking at a loss of 50,000 plus another 25,000 or so between all your fees and costs and everything else to manage the deal, taxes, insurance, utilities, carrying the property, all that stuff. So in a scenario like this, you've now lost yourself $75,000 because you made a stupid loan because you really didn't know what you were doing. So let's not do that. Let's not be that guy. Instead, let's figure out a way to structure this loan so that it mitigates the risk for us because that's what we really care about the most. As the lender, if we're borrowing capital from investors or our own capital, it doesn't matter. You still gotta do a good job. Let's mitigate the risk. Here we go. In this scenario now, we could lend 80% of the purchase price and we could still lend 100% of the renovation budget, but this time we're going to do it a little different. 80% of the purchase price is 80% of 200,000 equals 160,000. What that means is the borrower is going to have to bring $40,000 to the closing table for the down payment on the purchase of the property. 40 grand. That's going to come out of their pocket into the deal. Now the borrower wants to finish this deal because he or she will lose $40,000 if he or she does not finish the deal. In addition to that, we're gonna lend the borrower the whole 50,000 to renovate the property. But we are not going to release the 50,000 at closing. We are gonna hold it back in escrow, which means that the borrower is not going to have access to that money directly at the beginning of the loan. In addition to the $40,000 down payment, we are going to collect from the borrower At closing, our loan origination fee. Remember, the loan is going to be $160,000 plus $50,000. So the loan is going to be $210,000. So we're going to take $210,000 and we're going to charge three origination fee points. That's $6,300, which is reasonable. We're also going to charge a $700 processing fee. So we have about $7,000 in fees that we're charging the borrower for the privilege of borrowing this money in addition to that we're going to take six months of interest and we're going to pre-collect that. We don't want to have to collect payments from our borrower every month. That's a pain in the neck. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to collect six months of payments and we're going to hold those in escrow. And every time a payment becomes due, every 30 days, we're going to collect, we're going to reduce that escrow account and then apply a payment. In this scenario, you have about $12,600 in pre-collected interest which means the borrower has to pay that up front, which effectively means the borrower has to bring this money to the closing table. Now, why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. First of all, the borrowers don't like to do that because they like to be as little into a deal as possible. But you don't do it because the borrower likes it. You do it because it mitigates risk and because it creates more skin in the game for the borrower, which lowers the chance, again, of the borrower defaulting on the loan. So let's add it up. In this scenario, the borrower is bringing a $40,000 down payment, He's bringing 7,000 in fees that he has to pay up front. And he's bringing in $12,600 in pre-collected interest. Now it's important to note that pre-collected interest, the way we do it at Finley Capital, will be reimbursed, prorated back to the borrower if he or she repays the loan prior to the end of that six months. So if that borrower pays back the loan after four months, then we're gonna reimburse that borrower $2,100 times two months. But the point is it's collected up front. Now, here's the beauty of this. In addition to collecting these things up front, we're going to ask the borrower to start the renovation out of pocket with his or her capital out of pocket. So it's a $50,000 renovation. We're going to break that renovation schedule into five draws of 10,000 per draw. We're going to ask that borrower to put the first 10,000 renovations into the property and provide receipts for materials and labor and photos and video evidence that he or she has actually inputted $10,000 of renovations into the property. At that point, we're going to release $10,000 out of the $50,000 draw escrow back to the borrower. We're going to repeat that process five times so that we are only reimbursing the borrower when improvements to the property have been made. At the end of the schedule, that last $10,000 draw that we give to the borrower reimburses the borrower for the $10,000 he or she put out of pocket at the beginning of the deal. But what that means is this borrower between the $59,600 of down payment and closing fees in addition to another $10,000 that he needed to start the renovation with, this borrower is gonna be almost $70,000 out of pocket when this deal starts. That's how you mitigate risk. Now, look at the difference between funding 100% of the purchase and 100% of the repairs and releasing it all up front to doing 80% of purchase, 100% of repairs, holding the repair funds back in escrow until the repairs have actually been made into the property and then pre-collecting the interest and the fees up front. Here's another interesting thing about pre-collecting the fees upfront. This is something I really, I think is very interesting to the way we structure our loans. Now watch this. We have a little calculator in our software that helps us to figure this out. But what I'm going to calculate for you now is what I call the net funds sent to title company from the lender. Now here we go, ready? Loan amount is 210,000, which is 160,000 plus 50,000 minus 50,000 held back in escrow puts us at 160 minus 7,000 minus 12,600. That 7,000 is the fees and then the 126 is the pre-collected interest. Now, we still made this loan, we're lending this money, but we're only sending out of pocket, out of our account on settlement day. Which means that if this borrower never performs and he or she never delivers, never repays the loan, never renovates the property, and down the road we have to foreclose on this deal, our net exposure is only $140,400. And if you divide that by the after repair value estimate of $400,000, it means our net exposure on this loan is only 35% of the after repair value. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good position to be in. If we as the lender, you as the private lender, have the Armageddon worst case scenario of having to foreclose on the property. You would only need to sell the property for roughly 140,000 in order to recoup what you have outlaid out of pocket. Obviously, if the borrower bought the property for 200,000, you're gonna be able to sell it for much more than 140. So what does that mean? The risk the risk is very low. The adjusted risk of what you're putting out of pocket as the lender and what you would need to sell the property for after recouping it to break even, very low risk. And that's the beauty of the scenario. That's the beauty of structuring your loans in such a way that you're holding back the renovation funds, you're pre-collecting the fees and the interest, and you're requiring the borrower to put a down payment into the deal. Now, some borrowers like to do some fancy financial footwork. They like to do what's called gap funding. If you know me, you know, I am not a fan of gap funding. And the reason I am not a fan of gap funding, first of all, gap funding is when the borrower borrows the money to fill the gap between what we are lending on the purchase and what the borrower needs to bring to closing to complete the deal. So in this scenario, the gap funding might be 60 or $70,000. A gap funding comes from private lenders. Usually it comes from Individuals usually who are comfortable with lending money directly to the borrower, oftentimes not secured by a lien, oftentimes only secured by a written agreement, and usually in anticipation of double digit returns, 20% returns, or profit split agreements on the deal, whatever. Investors that invest in gap funding are trying to make really big returns because they're taking on a lot more risk because, as you can see, they are not often secured against the collateral and they are in the top of the debt stack not the bottom where we are. What does that mean for us as the lender? Do we care? Why do we care? Does it make any difference? Now, if you look at this scenario, in the event of a default by the borrower, we only need to recoup about 140,000 a brick even on our out of pocket, you know, expenditure. So what do we care if the borrower borrowed 60, 70 grand behind us or outside of our our stack? Well, the reason why I care is because if that borrower is defaulting, they're going to be more likely to default if they didn't put 60 or 70,000 of their own money into the deal. But nobody plans to default. Nobody plans to go bankrupt. Nobody plans for the market to shift or the cost of capital to go up or the, you know, the renovation budget to go out of whack or the contractor to run away. Nobody plans for those things. But when you are at the front of the debt stack, you're safer because you're going to foreclose and get back, you know, you're going to get that 140 back. But if there is a gap funder behind you they could cause a problem they could you know not agree to release their agreement or they could uh, sue or you know whatever could happen a lot of bad things can happen when we have debt behind you. But you have to be you really want to be in that first position recorded mortgage, because what that will do for us and for you as the private lender is it's going to secure your position in that worst case scenario where you have to do a default or you have to do a foreclosure. The point that I'm trying to make here in conclusion is you want to structure loans that the borrower has skin in the game, so that there's less chance of a borrower default, as opposed to if a borrower used a second position lender or a gap funder, where the borrower doesn't really have any real skin in the game other than promises to repay everybody. Because promises to repay everybody are not as exciting for a borrower to focus on as compared to, say, sixty dollars or $70,000 out of their savings account into your deal. So don't lend 100% of purchase. Don't lend 100% of repairs and just outlay it up front. Protect yourself as the lender. Now, if you if you look back at these two loan options too, you'll realize that they both achieve the same objective for the borrower. The borrower is going to get the $50,000 to renovate the property, the borrower's loan amount is roughly similar i mean obviously not with the 20% down but the renovation budget portion of the loan is the same so the borrower now has to renovate the property for the collateral value to increase for you as the lender to release the draws which protects your interest if you just give the borrower 50000 and say hey go have a field day go renovate this property i hope it goes well you have no control over that 50000 actually going into the collateral Theoretically speaking, that borrower could take that 50,000 and he could go finish another job that was behind schedule, or he could go and pay off a, buy a car, you know, they can do whatever they want and you don't control where that money goes. And basically that triples or quadruples your risk. The majority of the risk in a real estate transaction for a hard money loan is the construction risk. In other words, until that property has been fully renovated and it's new after repair value is actually achieved you as the lender are at some risk. So if you lend $250,000 on a property that's currently worth 200, you're in a big risk. But if you lend out 140,000 net out of pocket on a property that as is is worth 200, you don't have a lot of risk anymore because you structured the loan the right way. So make sure if you are structuring private loans that you are number one, requiring skin in the game. Number two, seriously considering pre-collecting the interest and fees. In conclusion here, one of the reasons that I like to pre-collect interest and fees is because if the deal does go bad, now I've collected what over almost $20,000 by pre-collecting these fees. In other words, the borrower had to put those out of pocket. That's 20,000 less that I would lose or have to recoup if I had waited for those payments to be Paid at the end. Now I've done some loans earlier early in the Finley Capital days where I allowed the borrowers to defer the payments. Well, guess what? I've had to make interest payments to my capital investors the whole time. And you know what? You might not think it's a big deal. Hey, you know, six months, you know, they'll pay you back, you'll make the interest then. Well, when that six month deal goes to a 10-month deal, next thing you know, you're carrying interest payments for your cap for your borrower for 10 months, which is not the end of the world, but it sucks. But what really scares me or really can be a problem there is the more that balance accrues to that loan because that unpaid interest is accruing and accruing and accruing that sucks into the profit margin for the borrower next thing you know the borrower starts looking at their mortgage payoff and they realize instead of owing you 210 they owe you 250 and all of a sudden you know the deal isn't as profitable maybe they don't want to sell it or maybe they don't want to finish it because there's nothing left for them that's why collecting that interest up front mitigates a lot of that exposure and it makes the payoff lower for the borrower later, which incentivizes the borrower to again to continue to complete a deal that isn't going well, which is what you as the lender need, need to happen for a deal that isn't going well. You need your borrower to be finishing that deal. Otherwise, you're gonna to have to foreclose and go through the worst, you know, the worst case scenario. Structure your loans, down payments, pre-collected interest and fees, escrow held back. And then make sure you're releasing draws on a schedule that is continuous consistent with the collateral value improving, and you will have good, solid loans on your balance sheet, and you will be lending private capital for years to come because you're doing it right. We'll get it.